I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 306. And today in the show, we're back for another one of our Rut Fresh radio episodes, in which we're getting the latest intel from across the country on what deer are doing right now, how current conditions are impacting it, and the tactics that are working right now. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. We're here for this week's Rut Fresh radio episode in which we are going to dive into the latest and greatest intel from across the country in regards to what white-tailed deer are doing right now. And Spencer interviewed a handful of guys all across the country. We're going to get those updates shortly, uh, but for now we got to do our quick intro check-in session. Uh, Spencer, what's on your mind? Do we have some good news coming up? Are people excited? Are people kind of saying, hey, it's slow, there's nothing going? What's the general vibe? Uh, people are optimistic because we are coming off of a cold front, and now we're going into another cold front. Uh, basically, wherever you hunt in the country, you either caught a cold front last weekend or you're getting one this weekend, and uh, that gets hunters pretty excited. Yeah, it. uh it generally leads to some good stuff. So, yeah, I'm actually going to be doing a mentor hunt this coming weekend, taking out um, part of that Field to Fork program by QDMA. And so we're taking eight new hunters into the field for the first time, and I think the conditions will be perfect for it. So I'm excited for that too. Yeah, such a cool program. Now, with a lot of these fronts that you get in October, you tend to see some precipitation as well. And you kind of give your thoughts annually on this mark as far as what rain will do to deer movement. But can you tell us about that again, how, how you think rain this time of year, any time in fall can suppress or help deer movement? Yeah. So what I've always seen in Michigan is that we get a disproportionately good amount of movement during rain events by mature bucks. Um, I, I think that typically the, the typical thing you see is if it's a really, really hard downpour, it's going to slow movement. But as soon as it eases up to like a light trickle or if it stops for a little bit, then the deer just seem to pour out. 
So lots of times it can be a good thing. If I see rain in the forecast, I want to be in the woods. If not during it, at least immediately after it stops. Um, Take, for example, my first hunt in Michigan. I told you about it. Uh, Well, I don't know if we did talk about it because we talked about the night before my first hunt. But uh, the night of my very first hunt, it was pouring rain, windy, lots and lots of rain, and started seeing deer trolling out as that rain just started to slow a little bit buck doe 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 buck doe 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 and then all of a sudden a really nice big three and a half year buck came out while it was still raining and i saw maybe four or five different bucks that night 10 to 15 does um so they were definitely moving in that and you know i don't know why it is. I know some people don't seem to think deer move at all in the rain, but I talked to a lot of people in states like Michigan or Pennsylvania, and they seem to see that mature bucks, for whatever reason, maybe feel a little bit more comfortable in those conditions. John Eberhardt's a guy who preached this for a long time, and, and because of what he said, I started hunting in the rain a lot and started seeing this too. He has always theorized this because hunters often aren't out there, and so that's become like a safe period for older bucks to move around in daylight. I don't know if that's the case or not. I can only speak anecdotally, but from my experience, when I'm out there in the rain, I see better deer more often. So I'm not letting it keep me inside. And especially want to make sure that if it slows down or stops, you want to be there to catch that influx of movement. So that is how I look at rain. I will say a couple things. Number one, if you are hunting in the rain, I always am hoping for it to be stopping soon after because the, the the concern is always blood trail. So if it is raining and it doesn't stop when I think it's going to stop or if it picks up more than I thought it's going to be, if, if the rain's pretty, pretty serious, I either will not take a shot at all if it's going to be a constant, constant downpour or I'm going to wait for it to be a very close, very perfect shot. Um, you know, if my max range is 40, if it's raining and it doesn't seem to be stopping i'm taking a 20 yard shot or in and it's got to be a perfect broadside shot like you don't want to have any question marks about tracking that deer um i would also say that thinking about how you're going to handle that blood trail is important as well so i'm definitely not going to push a deer if it's raining because i would rather hope it's going to bed down and, and die right away wherever it is versus push it and then have a deer run a mile and then not have a blood trail. So I'm, I'm thinking about that. Another thing to consider if you do shoot a deer in the rain is that a dog, a tracking dog, can track very well still in the rain. So in that case, let's say you decide to go out, it starts to rain, maybe partway through your hunt. You realize, oh crap, I've got worries about a blood trail or maybe it started to rain just after you took a shot. In many cases, that dog will have a better chance of tracking the deer if you don't go walk all over things. So don't go trounce all over the place looking for blood. If you know this is going to be a dicey blood trail, just immediately call your buddy who has a dog or look online, try to find someone if it's legal in your state. That can be a dynamite way to recover your deer. Even if the blood trail is hard for you to follow, it's not going to bother the dog. We had this experience last year with my buddy Andy. He shot a deer in the rain. We picked up my buddy who has a dog and we tracked it right to him. So keep that all in mind. Be very careful um, because, yes, while deer are moving in the rain, you don't want to lose a deer that you hit. So it's a very careful balancing act, and you have to make a critical decision there um, whether or not it's, it's, it's ethical to take that shot. So that's something I'm always trying to figure out in my own mind, and um, it's something you need to 
factor into your decision making as you hunt? Well, I'm going to be a bit of a wet blanket, but there is no research that shows that deer move like better during rain or better right after rain. But with that said, there are a ton of hunters who's what a horrible pun, by the way. Yeah, you're going to be a wet blanket. <laughs> there, there are a ton of hunters though whose opinion I really respect and intel I, I really like to get that say just what you said, that deer movement seems to increase following a rain shower. And I think back to an episode last year on Rut Radio. It was it was early to mid-October, right around this time of year, uh, when Alex Comstock killed a giant public land whitetail in Minnesota. And that was exactly the scenario for him. It was raining all evening. Uh, rain let up, I think, like 30 minutes before sunset. It was kind of an ideal scenario when bucks were getting on their feet anyway. And uh, he ended up killing a big whitetail and, and he really credited that jump in deer movement following a rain shower. Yeah. And I think, uh, if that rain's coming, I'd rather be in the tree than not and, um, see what happens, get some rain gear, get a little tree umbrella, stick it out. Cause yeah, as soon as it lets up, it can just be dynamite. So I don't, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to be sitting in the house and then check your trail camera the next day or something and see that once the rain died down a little bit, they are all on their feet and you were inside eating a hamburger. That's a bad feeling. So um, since the last podcast, I think the last time you and I chatted, that was uh, after the very first night of the Michigan season, and I told you about how that buck trans showed up, right? So the next day, and I discussed this a little bit on the main episode of the Wired Hunt podcast that will be coming out tomorrow, so I won't get too much into this, but as I just alluded to a second ago with that whole rainy night, that rainy night hunt happened, saw a bunch of deer, uh, saw a really nice three-and-a-half-year-old buck that I ended up passing on. Um, a lot of action. And then I hunted the next two days still trying to get a shot at Tran. Didn't end up seeing him anymore. Um, so I took three stabs at him in the early season. Didn't work out. But I saw a pretty good amount of action. Saw that three-and-a-half-year-old buck moving in daylight twice. The night he was at 10 yards. And then I saw him the next night a couple hundred yards away. Um and then over the past three days, I've started hunting on the back 40. And those are the first hunts on the back 40 property, which is exciting to see. Exciting to see how it, you know, actually plays out after having done all this work in the summer. Now getting to sit up in a tree and, and watch it for the first time was really cool. Um, kind of a good news, bad news situation is that hiking in for the very first hunt, I bumped a buck right off the edge of the field. Um, in an area I was not expecting anything to be bedded and it was a big mature buck, big bodied wide deer, uh, went jumping off and you could see him. And, uh, so it's good news that we've got a mature buck, bad news that we spooked him. And that was our only mature buck sighting, but nice to know we have it. And we saw a good number of does, some young bucks. Uh, our second night I saw a couple young bucks sparring off in the distance and then last night, we had a guest hunter in, a cooperative extension specialist from UC Berkeley who's been doing some very interesting research um, related to land use and private land conservation and the impacts of hunting on conservation, some stuff that ties in really nicely to what we're doing. And he came out and hunted for a couple nights, and he shot a doe last night. So we have the first deer off the back 40. So that is, uh, it's been pretty good good to decent movement i'd say like five to six on a ten um we're seeing deer having fun but uh not a ton of mature buck activity well besides your michigan report we also have a report in indiana from brad beaver at lone wolf tree stand 
Then we talk to Caleb Combs in Oklahoma from Stewart Ranch Outfitters. Then we go to Virginia, and from First Light, we talk to Taylor Chamberlain. And then we talk to Josh Sparks from Midwest Whitetails in Iowa. What is the date again for your first whitetail hunt? My first whitetail hunt is like five days away at this point. I will be heading back to South Dakota soon after we wrap up this podcast, and I have a few days to archery hunt. But then after that, I have a muzzleloader tag that I will be after for about a week straight there. And that kind of kicks off my month of hunting a ton, being gone a bunch of weekends, and hope that I don't get divorced. <laughs> I'll tell her to be nice to you and let you get out there and hunt because uh, it's been too damn long since you have been whitetail hunting. So I'm glad you're getting after it. And, and interesting you make this point. Um, you're going to have to run Fresh Radio solo next week because I'm going to be in Minnesota on my Boundary Waters hunt, totally off the grid, um, I think. Or maybe I'll, maybe we'll be able to record it just before I leave for that. Maybe we'll be able to do that. Um but we'll be we'll both be getting in some interesting adventures here very shortly. So we need to talk about that. Uh, it's looking like it's going to be a little bit of a rugged trip, Spencer. I'm seeing snow and very cold temperatures in the forecast. So yeah, the uh, the entire Midwest. I'm like concerned about how I'm going to get back to South Dakota for some of these hunts because there is a lot of snow and wind between here and home. Yeah. Well, I guess next week's Rut Refresh Radio will be uh, very interesting. So. Until then, I suppose we just tune into what we've got today. All right, we'll talk to you next week or two weeks from now. <laughs> All right, we'll figure it out. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com.
dot com slash meat eater. All right, and joining us on the line first is Brad Beaver in Indiana from Lone Wolf Tree Stands. Now, Brad, in Indiana, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, I mean, it's October, so I'd put it at 3 or 4. Um, it, it was nice last week because of uh, that early October cold front we got. I think had some of the bucks up on their feet, but again, it's still really early, so I'm going to stick with 3 or 4. When you see a cold front come like that in early to mid-October, how does that change your setups, or do you get a little bit more aggressive? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, anytime those October cold fronts come in, you have to kind of be prepared um, different than one, I think, would be in November, whereas that drastic temperature change really gets the deer up on, off their feet. So you really have to approach it, or at least I do anyway, a lot more aggressively than uh something later in the season um that being said i i hunted a lot of buck bedding um this last week in indiana um whereas in november i'd probably focus more on food this can be an awkward time of year for finding what the deer are eating with harvest and acorns hitting the ground what are you seeing there in indiana for the preferred food source uh that's a good question i mean if you can find um an oak flat or anytime acorns are on the ground i think in October, that's going to be the place to be. Um, but the big problem, I think that uh, the problem with the buck movement is that the crops are still up. So um, I I hunted standing beans a little bit, and I think because of the cold front, that's why I saw some of my movement, um, and they were hitting the beans. But with standing corn being up um, and all these crops still being in it, it's, it's super tough to pin down bucks this time of year. What are you seeing for sign making right now? obviously starting to pick up um i saw a few scrapes here and there along along tree lines really starting to see rubs pop up i think those kind of come first um and then they as the temps drop they'll focus more on their scrapes but um again obviously um going into the second week of october it's it's really going to start picking up are you concerned about moon phases at all this time of year i don't hunt moon phases at all um and the reason being is you know, if, if the moon is full or if the moon is, if there is no moon, I'm going to hunt either way. I just, you know, I don't have time to pick and choose when I get to be in the woods. So anytime I can be in the woods, I'm going to be there. Um, now I do pay attention to it just kind of for my own records. Like if I see bucks and think, oh, well, there was no moon. So maybe that's why. Um, but as far as hunting moons, I don't, I don't really pick out when I need to hunt and when I don't based on the moon. As someone who does a lot of hanging hunts, how does your equipment or your setups change from now uh, kind of until we get into the rut? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I hang and hunt, I would say 90% of the time. Um, I just like, like staying mobile. Um, my, my equipment is not going to change hardly at all between now and once we move to the rut, but definitely my tactics will. I'll get a lot more aggressive during the rut as far as hanging hunting in the mornings um this time of year if i can avoid it i will try to avoid hanging hunting in the mornings just because it's loud and inconvenient when it's dark um so as we move more towards the rut into november i'll do a lot more hanging hunts in the morning and get a little more aggressive than i would be this time of year do scrapes factor into your decision making at all this time of year is that something that you like to set up on yeah, I would say so. Just because I think that's where this time of year, I think that's where you can pinpoint bucks to is scrapes. And they're not 
as focused on food right now, I would say. Um, if you can get into a bedding area, I think you could jump on a buck um, a little easier, but I would definitely, if you can find a, an active scrape and if you know that, that buck is checking it a lot in early October, I think that's a, a great place to be. Going forward then this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Indiana? I mean, obviously, the, the closer we, we move to November, it's going to go up. I mean, that's a that's a given. Um, next week, the, especially this weekend, we're supposed to have a, a really big cold front come through the entire Midwest. So um, I expect it to be up higher than it was last week, obviously. Um, I don't think we're going to be full bore pre-rut. I would, I would put it in the 5 to 6 category out of, out of 10. All right, Brad, I like your optimism. Good luck in Indiana. Thanks for your time. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, and joining us on the line next is Caleb Combs in Oklahoma from Stewart Ranch Outfitters. Now, Caleb, in Oklahoma, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? I would say it's about a 6, just because I'm always a little bit more optimistic than most. But typical early season stuff, we had about normal temperatures, a little higher at first. Uh, So if you were on them, if you knew where the bedding was, if you already had intel, it was real good. But – if you were further out on field edges and stuff, it probably wasn't successful. It seemed like you must have had that intel because you just killed a big buck in Oklahoma. Tell me a little bit about that setup and why you were in the area you were. No, it was a good opener for me. Uh, I don't usually have success this early. I usually try and wait till October 10th-ish. It's about the time I start seeing them moving more. But this year I went ahead and went October 1st. We had a buck that I've been watching for a couple of years. It's a set up so that all the bucks come out of their bedding and then they're making their way through a transition area it gets covered up in scrapes later on in the season there's a lot of scrapes it's on the end of the scrape line and so i hunt it with a south wind and the bucks will cut in directly in front of you um took me a long time to figure that out but i finally got it and that's exactly what happened shot him at like 605 luckily i went and checked that camera after initially i was wrong because he he was there and it worked out surprisingly well. What's the acorn crop like this year in Oklahoma? Everything I've seen so far, it's a banner year for acorns. Traditionally, it'll be like the white acorns will produce one year, or the red acorns um, will drop. But this year, it seems like every tree that's in the woods is making acorns. So it will be interesting as far as trying to pattern it out and find whatever tree they're enjoying the most, you know, White acorns early, red acorns late, but it's going to be interesting for sure. Are you seeing much sign making yet in Oklahoma? I don't usually see that much, personally, till about the second week of October. That's when I, I start seeing uh, a lot of the bucks starting to make scrapes and making their way around. But it's also just one of my favorite times to be out there. It's around the 12th. October 12th, just for some reason. seems like they start picking up more and they start doing a little more pre-rut, uh, checking different spots. Much of the Great Plains had a lot of rain this spring and summer. Did that change anything in Oklahoma as far as harvest status or mess up any bedding areas? I didn't see any of it. It looked like they still, we had a dry spell there uh, towards like when all the corn was harvested and everything. So as far as I saw, everybody got everything out in a timely manner. I think it'll be good as far as antler growth. We had a really wet spring. I think there's been a lot of forbs, a lot of forage. Uh, that's a trend that's been going on the last two or three years in Oklahoma. I think it'll continue. I think there'll be some really big deer out there. How do your strategies change when you see an approaching cold front like we have coming this weekend? 
luckily I already had a trip planned for this weekend, so I was going either way. But it, I think it's going to be really good. The cold front moves through, I think, like Thursday, Friday, Thursday night, Friday morning. There's supposed to be quite a bit of rain. So I always – I won't make it, but if anybody can make it Wednesday night – I would assume that would be really good. And then I think the whole rest of the weekend will be great, whether it's whatever time it quits raining where you're at Friday and then Friday evening, Saturday, all day. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity will be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Oklahoma? I'm always optimistic, so (laughs) I'd put it high. Uh, I'd say about a 9. It's one of my favorite times of the year because it's pre-rut, pre-chaos. Everybody will be cruising cold front will have them on their feet i mean i don't see how it could get any better as far as just timing it's gonna be good all right caleb well congrats on the awesome deer and thanks for joining me hey i appreciate it all right and joining us on the line next is taylor chamberlain from first light in virginia now taylor on a scale of one to ten what would you say the buck activity has been lately in virginia uh overall i'd say buck activity is about a three to a four and I'd say that because um, really not seeing a ton of daylight movement right now. Um, you know, I am seeing some some mature deer uh, starting to you know make sign a lot of scrape activity right now, especially around uh, the primary food sources. But um, you know, they're really not doing a ton of daylight movement. It's all mostly night uh, pictures that we have on the scrapes right now. So. Um, you know, as far as hunting goes, I, I definitely give it a three to a four on, on buck activity. You touch on food sources there. Now, most hunters this time of year are focused on acorns and crop fields, things like that. But you do a lot of urban hunting, so I assume that's different. What are the food sources that you're looking for this time of year? I mean, every food source that I hunt is property specific, um, but food is key. So on properties that I have where... They have some acorns, especially white oaks. I'm going to key in on those uh, 100%, especially on years like right now where I don't have a ton of mass on the ground. The the few white oaks that are dropping are pretty much guaranteed spots to have deer activity. If there's a mature buck in that area, um, he will be on that food source. It's just a matter of catching him before light ends or catching him there in the morning. Uh, outside of that, you know, I have a unique situation here where in the suburbs the food source could literally be the landscaping on that property um shrubs browse i mean whatever the deer are turning to um that that's where you're going to find them but i really try to key in on the white oaks this time of year uh as long as there aren't a ton of them on the ground And, and here in in suburbia we don't have a ton of options for white oaks so where you find them and you can hunt them uh you're going to find deer guaranteed do you see the same kind of lull this time of year where bucks are harder to spot in daylight as hunters across the country that are hunting farms and, and more rural properties? I, I don't really see much of a lull. Uh, the lull that, that I see is a direct correlation to pressure. So if you have an area uh, or if I have an area that has a mature buck in it um, or any buck for that matter, just deer in general, and we start hunting or I'm in there hunting it a good bit, uh, putting pressure on it, those deer will react to that pressure and they'll start to move more in the, uh, you know, outside of, of daylight hours. But on properties where I might not get around to hunting them for a while uh, or there's no pressure on them, 
I very rarely see much of a lull. I actually see pretty much of a linear increase in more and more daylight activity based on uh, the closer we get to the end of the month. Now, you run a lot of trail cameras. How does your trail cam setups change uh, from early October till the rut? As soon as I start seeing scraping activity or deer that are making sign, I try to find those primary scrapes or uh, the, that big communal scrape that's close to bedding or, you know, normally this time of year, it's right around the primary food source. That's the best place, in my opinion, to get activity or get, get a good uh, feeling of every buck in that area because they're all going to come through there. and It's a great way to kind of get an inventory of what's in the area. And then based on the timing of those pictures, you can figure out kind of how the timing and frequency, you can figure out how, how close that deer is living. So, you know, if you have a deer coming by once a week at 2 o'clock in the morning, odds are that buck's probably not living too close by. Um, again, in my, my situation, the deer tend to travel pretty far because they have to, to find food sources and also have cover. And, you know, they live in tiny little pockets where, um, where human, human interference doesn't get to them. But if you have a deer coming by right at daylight or is on a scrape, you know, in the morning or, or in the evening, pretty early before shooting light ends, uh, you know, that deer is bedded close by and have a much better chance of harvesting that animal. You're probably more likely to be hunting in rain there in Virginia than most hunters I talk to. So how do you notice that change or, or suppress deer movement? Uh, I, you know, I, I find that the rain doesn't really affect the deer too badly. If it's blowing sideways and 30 miles an hour, then, you know, if I don't want to be in the tree, odds are the deer aren't going to be up and moving. But on those light, misty rains, uh, I find that the deer are moving a ton. Um I really love like a light, light rain and a nice high pressure system with a, a you know, a, a relatively low and consistent wind. I find a really good movement on days like that. Foggy days too. Um, I see a ton of good movement. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10 in Virginia? Uh, I think in Virginia, we're still going to be in that three to four range. I mean, if you, if you have a really good primary scrape on that primary food source, I'd get in there and hunt, and uh, I think you have a really good chance of, of shooting your target animal. But outside of that, I don't see any reason to push it. Uh, I think the moon's pretty bad, and our barometric pressure is really low for us right now. So here in Virginia, I'm, uh, I'm holding off. I'm hunting secondary areas or you know, maybe taking a couple flyers on some bedding areas, but for the most part, I'm, I'm waiting until the week after this to really start hammering down. All right, Taylor, great intel, and thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right, and joining us on the line last is Josh Sparks from Iowa with Midwest Whitetails. Now, Josh, in Iowa, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? On uh, a scale of 1 to 10, I would say buck activity in general has been a 6. Um, just saying that because of the recent cold front that we had go through. And it was definitely a spike, uh, you know, compared to what you'd expect for that first week in October. What food sources are you focused on right now in Iowa, a state that has a lot of big egg, but also some pretty big acorn crops? Um, so the piece of public land that I actually had a really good encounter on this past week, um, I was focused on beans just because it was a pretty safe play as far as doing a hanging hunt, you know, first week of October. 
and there's a big acorn flat right next to it with the north wind we were able to sneak in there sneak out but so really i could say i could just focus on acorns and ag when we have another approaching cold front coming like this weekend what is your strategy as a public land hunter um you know the public land hunter i'm not really holding anything back just because everything that i'm going to try anybody else is welcome to do that themselves so we're going to go into that same spot with the north wind. I think bucks will be up on their feet again. Ideally, with the cold front, there's a big thunderstorm day on Thursday and then on Friday. The reason why I'm setting up on that bean field is because of all the scrapes that are popped up on the edge. So we're hoping to catch a buck. Coming to freshen up those scrapes, and as we're getting further into mid-October, hopefully I can do a little bit of calling and maybe bring them in the bow range this time. You just touched on scrapes there a little bit, but how much does sign-making factor into your decision-making this time of year? And how does that change once we get closer to the rut? Um, this time of year, it's definitely going to be a lot more influential just because that's what I'm hunting. I'm not really breaking into the timber as much. Um, I'm, I'm really all about access and whether or not I can get in and out clean. So as far as sign, you know, scrapes are really the only thing I'm paying attention to as of right now. As a public land hunter, when do you notice an increase in hunting pressure? When you have an obvious cold front coming through like this weekend, do you expect to see more guys in the woods? I definitely expect to see more guys in the woods just because of the weekend. Uh, That's one thing that I would definitely say. In Iowa specifically, I notice the pressure increases exponentially with the rut. And that's the time of year that we're getting a lot of out-of-state hunters, guys taking their vacations. So really, I think October, early, mid, and late is an underlooked uh, time of year to go out and hunt on public land, personally. With harvest taking place in Iowa anywhere from now until mid-November, how does that normally change things for you when the combines hit the fields? Uh, So in Iowa this year, at least where I'm hunting, uh, harvest is going to be a little bit later than normal. Fields are still pretty wet. But as of right now, I'm using that to my advantage and hunting along those, you know, agricultural fields. Once those crops come out, that'll cause me to go deeper into the timber, um, just because I think that's where deer are going to start to transition for cover, especially bucks. And as we get further into the year, you know, I'm more or less focusing on where the does are going to be, opposed to where I think the bucks are. So it really just kind of changes where I'm focused. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Iowa? Coming Friday, at least where we're going to be, I would say anywhere from a 6 and 7, just because of that cold front coming Friday. We're going to have to rain all day Thursday, and then we've got about a 25, 30-degree temperature drop. It's going to be down below 30s, and that's I think that's going to shock the deer in the activity and hopefully a mature bucks just like it did this past week. All right, Josh, well, good luck to you and everyone else at Midwest Whitetails. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. And that concludes this week's episode of Rut Fresh Radio. Thanks to Brad, Caleb, Taylor, and Josh for joining me, and thank you guys for listening. I hope this October cold front finds you well, and I'm excited to take advantage of it like I hope many of you are. But until we talk next week, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.
Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.